0: Thank you, brother. That was a very appropriate Going to see in our text this morning. uh, Others who forsook the solid ground of the Lord and his truth for ground that was indeed seeking sand. We're going to be in Jeremiah 7, verses 16 through 20. And this is what it says. God speaking to his prophet Jeremiah. As for you, do not pray for this people. Or lift up a cry of prayer for them, and do not intercede with them, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you for coming. And while you're being seated, would you please bow with me? Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for your word, Lord. What a gift you've given us, Lord, in this book. Lord, 66 different books that compose this one book that we call the Bible, your inspired word. Lord, what a gift to us. You teach us so much about yourself, Lord, and we find so much in there about your love, your kindness, your mercy, your faithfulness, your gentleness, Lord, but we also see that you are a just God, and where we land today happens to be on a portion, Lord, where you are showing your great displeasure with sin. Father, I pray, of course, that you would give us that same displeasure with our own sin. Help us to be very sin-sensitive, actually, Lord. Help us to be changed in heart so that we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. As Jesus said, and that I don't only come, of course, from the new birth, from being born again, from being saved. So, Lord, I pray that if there's any who don't know you yet within the sound of my voice that they will Come to you, and Lord, for those of us who do know you, Lord, help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that I pray, Amen. I've titled the message this morning: "Don't pray for people," because that's that's what the text says. Don't pray for these people, and it seems very contrary, right? Because we know we're to pray for lost souls. The Bible tells us to pray for sinners, multiple places in the scripture. You don't even have to look very hard to find that. We know that we're told to pray for the welfare of others as well. We're told to. We know we're even supposed to pray for those who persecute us. According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, he says this, this phrase, pray for those who persecute you. But this is a rare verse today. It's very uncommon that we see the Lord telling someone not to pray for people. It's very uncommon. You don't find it often in the Scriptures. It's mentioned one other time in this book, Jeremiah, later on in the 14th chapter, if I'm not mistaken. He says that, again, don't pray for the welfare of these people. But it's very uncommon that we see the Lord commanding someone in this way. Well, that's because it's also uncommon that a people who had received So many benefits, so many blessings, and also so many warnings from the Lord again and again and again would still reject their God and would still choose their sin. That's also uncommon. Or is it? Is that so uncommon that a people would act that way? You might know that we live in a nation that has received benefit after benefit from the Lord and blessing after blessing from the Lord, and wouldn't you also agree, warning after warning from the Lord? Yes? I think we would all agree on that. And doesn't there seem to be, however, a growing mindset and a growing heart attitude to reject God and to choose sin? I think we'd also all agree on that as well. And we can even shrink that down, though. We can even shrink that down and say, let's get a little bit more personal. Maybe even have I, haven't I received benefit after benefit from the Lord and blessing after blessing from the Lord and haven't I maybe even personally received warning after warning from the Lord? Am I am I being like these people? Am I, am I rejecting God? and, and uh, Am I choosing my own sin? That's the wonderful thing about the word of God. It can warn us and even injure us in places where we need to be injured and also provide the healing at the same time. I love that about the Lord's word. So let's walk together through this text because it is an uncommon text. It's an uncommon command. So how do we understand it then? Verse 16, as for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. Do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. There were times when God's people could Intercede, And we're even compelled to intercede on behalf of sinners. What's it mean to intercede? If you're not familiar with that word, it basically means you stand in between, you're like the go-between, between God and the guilty party. And you're interceding for them. We do this all the time when we pray for sinners. Pray for wayward souls that we know and love, perhaps. We're saying, God, please, Draw this person to yourself, please. Convince this person of the truth, please. Convict this person of sin, please. Convert this person's soul, Lord. Please, that's that's in- intercession. So, we have examples of this happening in the scriptures. You might know this a famous one when you might know when Abraham intercedes on behalf of those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Why would he be compelled to do that? Well, we know that his nephew Lot was living there, and Lot's family. So God says to Abraham, the outcry, the wickedness of this city has risen up to me and I'm going to go down there and punish them. And Abraham remembers Lot and he says, Lord, far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked, far be it from you if you find 50 righteous souls in the city, would you destroy it? What if there's 50 there? And God says, for the sake of the 50, I won't do it. And Abraham remembers, okay, yeah, I remember what it's like there. And so you might remember, he says, what about 45? And he gets them all the way down to 10. And God says, for the sake of the 10, I won't do it. Well, as you know, there weren't even 10 there. And God destroyed them. But he would have relented. He said he would have. Another example, we find Moses doing this. Let me just read to you from Moses 14, 11 through 12. The Lord of hosts said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs I've done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So he basically says, I'm done with these people. You know, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses, I'm going to start over with you. Lest you think, boy, this this God—he's sort of got a—he's sort of hot-headed. He's got a temper. Let me tell you this. This comes in Numbers chapter 14. All right. If you would have read the book prior to this, Exodus, and if you would have read the book prior to this, Leviticus, and if you would have read the book prior to the I mean, the chapters prior to this, Num- Numbers one through thirteen. You would have wiped these people out way before God. I'm telling you right now, if I were God, I would have nuked them off the planet way before this. They were horrible. Really bad. And just reading about it makes my blood, boil. I want to say, Lord, don't talk to God that way. Don't treat God that way. And of course, I have to remember, I've treated God that way. And his wrath fell on Jesus. So do not think at all that God's some sort of hot-headed, hot-tempered, just loves to nuke people. No, no, no. He was extremely patient, way more patient than you would have ever been. I promise you. I promise you. Moses says this, however, to the Lord in verses 17 through 20, that same chapter, numbers in 14, interceding. And now please let the power of the Lord be great. As you have promised, saying, and he quotes back what God said to him, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. He says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. The next verse then says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So we have examples of people interceding on behalf of other guilty parties. And here the Lord pardoned them. Of course, the greatest example of one who makes intercession for sinners would be Jesus. Look at Hebrews seven twenty-five. Hebrews seven twenty-five. I've got a slide. There we go. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That's Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, Jesus is the great, the ultimate go-between between God and the guilty party of man, us. So through faith and trust in what he did, repenting of your sins, Jesus mediates for us. Jesus is the great intercessor for us forever and he'll never ever stop. So all other intercessors really point to the greatest intercessor, the mediator between God and man, the go-between. And in fact, that was the father's plan that Jesus become like us in the flesh, God and man, so that he could be that perfect mediator between God and man. Now, this command that Jeremiah received, it does seem strange in light of other examples of Scripture. But just like Jeremiah was told not to pray for them, not to intercede for them, essentially to shift his focus from the hope of their turning from their sin, he was instead told to basically shift your focus onto what's actually true about them. You know what's interesting is our Lord Jesus is said to have done something very similar when he walked on the earth. Did you hear what I just said? Our Lord Jesus also did something very similar when he walked here on earth, shifting his focus away from rescuing people and instead focusing on what's actually true about them. You might say, I don't remember that, Cohen. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I learned about in Sunday school, holding the little lamb. That doesn't sound like that one. You're right, it doesn't sound like that one. Because this is the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you weren't fed a healthy diet of Jesus. Here it comes. John 2, 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. Why? For he himself knew what was in man. Here he is at the Passover feast doing miracles, and you might recall, Jesus very, very, very rarely did a standalone miracle. His miracles were almost, almost always coupled with teaching. He would teach some great truth, and then he would do a miracle. That miracle was the stamp of approval on what he just said. This is God's authentication of his man, his son, Jesus. But the people here aren't really caring so much about the message. They're caring about the signs. They saw the signs that he, were doing, that he was doing. And they were like, ooh, wow, that's cool. And it says, and they believed in his name. Listen to what R.C. Sproul said about this section. He said, the faith of those mentioned here remained superficial because they came to it only because they saw the signs. For that reason, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. You see, the Jews of Jeremiah's day with their persistent wickedness and unrepentant hard hearts had used up all of God's patience and all of God's long suffering. He could also see was truly, really, within their hearts, just like Jesus could test the motive of every man and know, are you just coming to me to get stuff? Are you coming to me for me? God's wrath was filled up to the brim like a dam, ready to break and explode upon these people. There was no reason to pray for them. God told Jeremiah there was no reason to pray for them. And in verse 17 of our text, the Lord begins to point out why that is. Why are you not to pray for them, Jeremiah? Because he doesn't just say, don't pray for them The end. trust me. No, he doesn't say that. Though that would have been fine. He begins with a question to his prophet, Jeremiah. Look at verse 17. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem, he basically says, You see it. You see what they're doing, Jeremiah. Don't you see it? What are they doing? First of all, look where they're doing it. I want to focus on that first of all. Look where they're doing this. Cities of Judah, streets of Jerusalem. This was the holy city. Jerusalem was where the holy temple of God was. That's significant. Back then, because that's where the holy presence of God dwelled, this was the epicenter of all things that pertain to the worship of the one true God. The everlasting, almighty, self-existent God, Yahweh. This was the capital, the place where he chose to make his presence dwell. And God says, essentially as it were, don't you see what's happening in broad daylight right in the streets? They're not even trying to hide it anymore. Not only that, it's celebrated. It's become a family affair. Look at verse 18. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Queen of heaven. This was the title for actually a god named Ishtar, I-S-H-T-A-R, a Babylonian goddess. They called her the queen of heaven. So this is a title for a false goddess. That Jews. Jewish people. We're not just talking about rank pagans out there. We're talking about the Jews. the The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were God's chosen possession. God's chosen people on planet earth. He said, I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to give you the law. going to pour out my goodness on you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to even rescue you as slaves out of Egypt. You're my special people. And they, over the years, went further and further and further away from God. We get a little bit more about this queen of heaven in Jeremiah 44. Listen to Jeremiah 44 verses 15 through 18, because this isn't the only time she comes up in this book. This is after some of the judgment had already started to fall on them. Then all the men who knew their wives had made offerings to other gods, the women actually let out in this worship towards the queen of heaven. And all the women who stood by great assembly of all the people who lived in Pathros, in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah. So this is now what they're saying back to Jeremiah. As for the word, you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. They acknowledge that he was speaking to them in the name of Yahweh. That's key. We will not listen to you. Mm. Brazen, hard hearts, just stone face. We will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings, our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Notice everyone he lifts out. We, our fathers, our kings, our officials. Let me tell you something. Just because something's popular doesn't mean it's right. As someone who stands on this book, what you're gonna find is you're often going to have to stand alone. You may be the only Christian at your workplace. You may even be the only Christian in your family. Jesus said it would be this way. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. But wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many enter therein. Yep, a whole lot. Kings, officials, cities, fathers. Yes, it's not changed the people go on to say for then we had plenty of food when we were offering these offerings to the queen of heaven he says we have plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster but since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and famine i wonder why you're consumed by the sword and famine maybe because god said you would about a thousand times because you kept rebelling against him your logic is way off here people they're thinking, yeah, but since we stopped offering offerings to the Queen of Heaven, now this bad stuff's happening. It's definitely not our fault. I get perplexed. And so do you probably when you see people living in sin consistently and continually and continually making bad choice after bad choice that's totally contrary to the word of God. And then, of course, they reap what they sow. And then they say, why are all these bad things happening to me? And they usually shake their fist at God and say, it's your fault. Really? Because it seems that the Lord made it so clear. If you walk in these wicked ways, you can expect horrible consequences. And the horrible consequences come, and they say, it's your fault. Man's logic is so skewed, horribly skewed. That's why we need wisdom from God. These people, listen to this, they were wrong with their logic as well. The real reason why they were prosperous and weren't seeing trouble originally is because God was being patient with them. God was withholding his wrath, he was withholding it. The dam was filling up, it could have been emptied had they repented, but he was being patient. That's why they weren't seeing all the horror that their sins deserved. Actually, verse 4, in the same chapter, back in chapter 44, says this, Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. He says, I sent you prophet after prophet after prophet, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. He said to them again and again, Don't do this. Don't do it. Turn. Don't go there. He sent them warning after warning after warning. The second reason they prospered is because of, I believe, the devil. Why They prospered because of the devil? That's what Satan sometimes does to those who throw off God's ways and follow his deceptions. What do I mean? Remember when the devil was... Tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Remember that? We only get three examples of how he tempted him. The Bible says, though, he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. I think those three are sort of just some of the three big ones that encapsulate a lot of other temptations. Because a lot of other things fall under those three. However, in his second temptation to Jesus in Luke 4, you might recall that Satan said this to Jesus. Luke 4, verses 5 through 8. Listen. Listen. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Just like that, he was able to show him all of them. And he said to him, Satan, saying to Jesus, to you I'll give all this authority and their glory, for it's been given to me, it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. I give it to whom I will, he says. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Boom, I love that. That's how we fight the devil as well with the sword of the word. It's as if Satan was leaning in close and saying, hey, you see all this glory? You see all this goodness? You see all this treasure and everything? I'll give it to you if you worship me. And Satan pulls out a knife and says, I don't think so. I love it. I love it. The sword of the word conquers the devil. We fight him in that same way, with truth. You see, the people thought things were good because the false goddess called the queen of heaven was blessing them, when it's more likely that it was because they were chugging down the bottle of lies the wicked one was giving them, and the devil was rewarding them for that. Just like he said to Jesus, if you'll turn from God's plan and worship me, I'll give you so much. I can give it to whoever I want. That's why we sometimes think it's strange. We see people in the world acting so wickedly. They're so vile. They're so in the face of God with their lewdness. <laughs> They're so rich, right? And we look around and we're like, I'm doing something wrong. Because <laughs> I'm not rich like that. <laughs> it's all going to be laid bare on the last day. The Bible says many who are last will be first, and first, last. Jeremiah tells them the real reason for their disaster. In Jeremiah chapter forty-four, twenty-three, 23, he says, It's because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in the law or in his statutes or in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as it is this day. He says, No, it's not because you stopped offering offerings to the Queen of Heaven. It's because you offered offerings to the Queen of Heaven. That's why this disaster has come upon you. Church, this is a good example for us. We're supposed to speak the truth. It's going to be contrary to what the world is saying, but we're supposed to speak the truth. When they say, this is this because of this, we're supposed to say, no, this is the truth. Now, granted, we don't, we're not jerks about it when we say it, but we say, that we, we say it truthfully. We use tact, and we use the compassion even, but we speak the truth because the enemy wants to silence us, scare us into submission. But now, we speak the truth just like he did in the face of all these people that hated his guts, him standing alone. He says, no, it's not your lack of offering to a false God, but your lack of love and obedience to the one true God. That's what brought all this upon you. It's, it's your fault because you blatantly trampled upon his kindness and upon his forbearance. And like a pig in the mud, you wallowed in all of your gross sin again and again and again. That's why this has all come upon you. And it was a family affair from father to mother to child. They thumbed their noses at God and said, we think these gods treat us better, so there. You may think it was a stretch earlier when I brought Satan into the discussion since he's not mentioned in our text. You might say, yeah, this says nothing about Satan. I think it's a bit of a stretch there, Cohen, for you to make that jump like you did. Idols, Satan. You're you're playing fast and loose with the text here buddy. I believe I had the liberty to do that because of Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17. Listen to this. He's talking about others before these people and Jeremiah who had done similarly. Listen to this. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods to gods they had not Known. You see, behind every idol is a demon, according to that verse. A deceptive, evil, harm-intending spirit is behind every idol. That's true of the idols from long ago, those idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold. But that's also true about idols today. You may be thinking, oh, yes, that is true of idols today, too. Cohen's talking about those, those people and those tribes still that, you know, worship idols and things like that. We were missionaries in Central America, the neighboring country to the one that we were in was Guatemala. And there are still some people groups that we saw of and heard about in that country that still make sacrifices to idols and things like that. We didn't see it in the country that we were in per se. Um, So you're probably thinking, yeah, he's talking about people that still worship idols to this day. I'm talking about the false gods we create in our minds. That's what I'm talking about. I've said this before, you can make an idol with your hands or you can make an idol with your mind. If you didn't know that to be true, please believe me because it is true. A God you would rather have instead of the God of the Bible. And a lot of people do this, a lot of people do this. You'll quote scripture, plain scripture to them. Just read the text and they say, well, my God wouldn't act like that. My God is a loving God and would never send anyone to hell. That's what you might hear. And I heard someone once say, you're right. Your God would not send anyone to hell because he can't, because he doesn't exist. You've created him in your mind. We usually create a God who doesn't hate our sin, a God who doesn't require holiness, a God who doesn't care about The fact that we're so self-centered and ego-centered. We actually will sometimes create a God who celebrates the fact that we're so self-centered and so focused on our own ego. And the truth is, he's a God who, when you actually pull him down and clear away all the mist from the fog machine, what you find is when you examine him really closely, he looks just like you. We create a God in our mind usually that's exactly like us. The Bible says in Psalm 50, verse 21 You thought that I was altogether like you, God says to the people. You thought I was altogether like yourself, you thought I was exactly like you are. Is what God says. Remember why the people told Jeremiah they worshiped the queen of heaven? She gives us stuff. We get things we want from her. So you see, that's not so much about her at all, was it? It was about what she can give me. You see the motive behind their worship? It's not the queen of heaven. It's about what the Queen of Heaven can give me. So this is really about me, isn't it? Man is the real focus behind all the deceptions of the demons that tempt men to turn from the one true God, self. I, when I was a missionary, we used to teach about world religions, and of course, we taught about Hinduism. Buddhism, Islam, but I also taught them about this group that calls themselves the, the Church of Satan. That They just come out and say, we worship Satan. You may have seen these people. You can go on YouTube and watch them talk. Um, and what they'll tell you is this. When we say we worship Satan, what we actually mean is we worship self. <laughs> he just came, he came out and said it. He just said it. We don't actually believe in Satan," he said. We, we believe in self. It's, it's actually worshipping self." He said that. And I thought, "That's exactly what the Bible says, essentially, is behind what Satan wants for you to you for you to focus on you. But it's to their own hurt. The worship of self only hurts self. Did you hear that? The worship of self only hurts self. The world tells you to focus on you. Get all that you can. Do all that you can. Step on whoever you have to to get up there because this is about you. Even, but they like to sugarcoat it. I even heard an interview once with this NBA player. He kind of had to do some stuff that some people thought was kind of like dirty and he shouldn't do. I forget, his, I forget who it was. I forget if it was LeBron James or whoever. I'm just going to use LeBron James because we all know him, right? And, but he spoke in third person about it. He said, LeBron James has to do what's best for LeBron James. You know why he said it that way? Because you really sound like a jerk when you say, I got to do what's best for me. But it was sugar-coated, right? Look at verse 19 of our text. It says, Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? I like the way the NIV words it. It says, but am I the only one they're provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? You see, sin's terrible. It destroys you from the inside out, which is why the Lord tells you to flee from it to the only one who's already taken the punishment for all your sin and all your foolishness and all your pride and arrogance. The Lord Jesus, see, Jesus was sinless. But he died as if he was sinful. He died in the place of sinners. That's the good news. He willingly and graciously died in your place, taking the punishment that, that should have been ours. The image of the dam that I mentioned earlier filled up to the brim, ready to break forth. That dam did break forth and more. The dam of God's wrath fell upon Jesus Christ in full measure. He drank it down to the last drop. The wrath of God that should have been poured out on all of us wretched, ungrateful, willingly disrespectful, disobedient rebels against God. That wrath fell upon Jesus. And he died, and he had to die, because the Bible says the payment for sin is death. But death couldn't hold him. Just as the enemy Satan couldn't defeat him, the enemy, because the Bible calls death an enemy as well, enemy couldn't. That enemy couldn't hold him either. You see, Jesus has the keys of death and hell, which means he has authority over them. And he walked out of the grave victorious. Death could not hold him. He rose again from the dead, showing that the price of sin had been paid for, showing that the payment had been received by the father because it was the father who was the one offended in the deal. He was the one who was sinned against, and he showed that he received the payment of Jesus. The Savior is available to us today too, the Lord Jesus. He's actually calling to you through this sermon right now. If you don't know him, if you're listening online, this is one of those warnings I mentioned earlier that God gives people again and again. This is one of those warnings, and this is also an invitation. See, so He doesn't just give the warning, He gives the invitation. He says, Come. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, because Jesus took the punishment for sinners. The punishment for that sin, your sin, fell upon Christ. He took it already. That's why you can be saved. That's why you can be saved. These people refused this call again and again and again. They kept refusing it and kept refusing it and kept refusing. That's why God said, don't even pray for them. Listen, I've sent them so many people. They've heard so many sermons. And they keep saying, no, 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 thank you. This God instead, not you. I think I know better than you do, okay? Okay stop talking to me. But the ones who say, I am guilty. You know, I am bad. You know, I do carry a lot of guilt, actually. I don't even like to be alone in a quiet room. I have to have something always going. I have to have music going or TV going. Even in my car, I have to have something going. I just don't like to even sit quietly because I'm just, I don't like to think about all the bad that I've done. I just have to numb it out. No, you don't. You don't have to numb it out. You can transfer it over to somebody else who's already taken it for you, who loves you and is calling you today through one of his servants. And he'll save you. Just as he saved 19-year-old Cohen Ezel long ago. It's been a lot of years since I was 19. He saved me and changed me. And he can save you and change you. You see, God was storing up wrath for these people because they deserved it. God wasn't being unjust or unfair to them in any way. He's not being a bad guy, just like a judge here on earth isn't a bad guy when he sends a criminal to jail. The criminal deserves it. He's doing what's right because he's a good judge. And God's not only a good judge, he's the best judge. This is judgment that's also very thorough. Look at verse 20, and we're almost done almost done look at verse 20 in our text therefore thus says the lord god behold my anger my wrath will be poured out on this place born man beast upon the trees of the field fruit of the ground it will burn and not be quenched you see when the relationship between god and his people is ruined and broken by sin it affects creation as well you might be thinking oh, what what the, what what the animals do here what are the what are the beasts of the field and the trees and the fruit of the ground what's why why what's, what's the deal Think about Adam and Eve's sin. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Not only were they affected with specific after effects because of their choice, but so was the ground. The ground was cursed. A part of them, right? On account of what they did. And we're told in the Bible that creation groans under this curse, longing to be relieved from it when Jesus comes back. Think about Noah. As the Bible says, during the days of Noah, the thoughts and intentions of man's heart We're only evil continually, is what it says. It's really bad. And on account of that, God flooded the entire planet. God's wrath had to fall, and it fell in the exact measure that sin deserved. So Jeremiah was instructed not to pray for them. But are we supposed to follow this example? Are we to pray? Are we to not pray for sinners? We actually are to pray for sinners. Why? Well, because God tells us to. And unless you receive a command to stop praying for sinners, then don't stop praying for sinners. Jeremiah received such a command. I've never received that command. So I pray for sinners. Even sinners that I have a really hard time liking. (laughs) I wasn't so likable. Either one's. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5, and we'll end with this. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5. Look at this. First of all, then, I urge this is Paul writing to Timothy. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people. And he gives us a very specific example here in verse 2 for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may live peaceable and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, he says, to do this. And it's pleasing the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, God would never receive me. Well, that's not what this verse says. God would never receive me. You're wrong. You're just wrong. Either you're wrong or this is wrong. And I doubt you're ready to say the Bible's wrong. Desires all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus ever lives and always will to be the mediator, to be the, between God and man, the intercessor between God and man. He will never stop interceding for those who come to God through him. And let's be in prayer more and more also for those that rebels against him, that they will come to God through him. Father, this is your word, and we're so grateful that we have it. Help us, Lord, please, to walk in it. Help us to love you. Help us not to be like those people who only followed for the signs or only followed false gods for the gifts. Lord, you've already given us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ, someone who took the punishment on our behalf and rose again from the dead. We can have peace with you. We can have peace with you through him. Lord, thank you for that peace that your word says, passes understanding. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your son's perfect name. Amen.